Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing that we can promise is that our conversation will be hopefully less than fascinating, so you can just feel free to drift off, relax, chill if you will. Thank you for listening. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and joining me is Jeff Kellaway. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's correct. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Jeff, you and I just had the opportunity to have a conversation, and I found out that one of your hobbies is something you do, not every day, but you do in your real life, which is DJing. That's right. And you're our first DJ that we've had on. Oh, okay. So I'd love to talk about the process of DJing or being a DJ. Let me ask you, how did you get into being a DJ? Um, By pure accident, actually. I um, happened about... I'd say maybe, gosh, maybe about 15, 17 years ago. I was like at a nightclub and I really just started loving the music and I got really obsessed with it actually and just looking at how DJs spun vinyl and it just made me want to actually learn it. So I just decided I was going to teach myself. What I love about spinning, the art of spinning vinyl is it's very tactile, right? Now, in your current DJing, are you still using vinyl or is everything digital? That's a a good question because it is all digital now. Um, You can still use vinyl through a digital medium, but I choose to use CDJs. Okay. What are those? Yeah. They're basically like turntables, Mm -hmm. like but they're electronic turntables, and now you can use a flash drive. Oh, wow. And you put the flash drive into the CDJ, and then you can select a number of tracks from that flash drive. So you could have like a gigabyte or a terabyte worth of uh, data on your flash drive. So you could have hundreds of tracks, and you simply select it. And then it's this interface that's tactile like a turntable, but it doesn't spin, but it allows you to spin it as well if you want to use it like vinyl and scratch. Just for that feel or the set sensory. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how, okay, so let me ask you this. How do you get the music onto that uh, gigabyte of... Uh, well, you have to download it or produce it yourself okay. on your laptop or your, your computer desktop, and you basically just put the tracks on there. 
from that, and you just transfer it on. And you're, is there a service that you would find the tracks on, or are you just searching the web for them? So it's interesting because music has gone through a bit of an evolution in the last 17 years as sure. far as how you procure things. Um, whereas back in the day, I used to go to the record store and basically spend 200 bucks a week of my hard-earned money, oh, maybe wow. a little less, like, but in the $100 range. Tell me the record store you would go to. Uh, play the record. Okay, and that's it's, where? It's a Young and Dundas. It's okay. no longer there. I think they've moved, but it, they've, they've had to change their business model because Final just completely went off the rails. What was the score or the best record that you bought at the record store? The mm-hmm. biggest score at the record store? I, it was probably some bootleg from some really cool like remix of a house track by okay. Derek Carter or something. I don't know. So <laughs> it's something that it's funny because music is so disposable now. Sure. So basically, um, uh, what you thought was cool twenty years ago, right, is no longer cool. Although the one thing I did get off the internet through YouTube mm-hmm. or not YouTube. What's it called? What's a, eBay, eBay? Sorry. Okay. There was this record I bought that was this really rare bootleg of a Janis Joplin track that was a house, re, deep house remix uh, with her riffing on the guitar and sort of not rapping and sort of, and it was really rare and it was hard to find. And I found a copy somewhere in Germany okay. and I paid $70 for it. Wow. That's my favorite. I still have that record. It's just it's a it's a white label like bootleg press of this well known Janis Joplin track that basically she's riffing in a live concert and yeah that that's the track that 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 I never found that at play the record. But. Wow, I have a vinyl. So my school when I was in I want to say my final year of high school. We had a class trip to the Soviet Union. Mm. It was still the Soviet Union back then, and they were just sort of opening it up to, you know, just to to openness to people traveling there. And that year, or the previous year, Paul McCartney had recorded a record in the Soviet Union called Back in the USSR, Mm -hmm. which you could only purchase in the Soviet Union. And so we were a bunch of high school kids, and we had read that. And so we all have these Russian copies of a Paul McCartney record from back in the day when it was the first sort of, you know, one of the first, I should say, um, you know, big artists to perform in the in the USSR. So that's amazing. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. What do you look for now when you're looking for what you're going to be playing? Well, I mean, I used to play a lot when I was younger. And then um, it was very different now because... I used to play a wide range of events when I was younger from like I did the whole wedding stuff and I did some really big corporate things. And then I would once in a while travel and I play in clubs and after hours. So depending on where my work was going, Mm -hmm. I would focus on like finding music based on like if it's a wedding, obviously, or a corporate gig, you're playing like a wide, huge range of styles, pretty safe, kind of like well-known material. You're not really reinventing the wheel too much. Just really what it, it's all about how you read a crowd and how you sort of present the music as a sort of through line. Um, but when it came to clubs, it was a little more interesting underground, um, searching for music that was, had different sounds that necessarily like the latest hit, not necessarily the biggest hits, but sort of the most underground like track that's bubbling under <clears throat> stuff that is just good quality electronic music. Now that I have like a regular Joe job, boring nine to five kind of I'm a civil servant now Um, 
now that I have that, I just I have the residency at a nightclub in the city, and I just DJ there twice a month. And now I'm just looking for like really new top forty EDM style, and I make all my own like remixes and bootlegs too at home. So I have a combination of both. So. I'm looking just for, like, the freshest, like, top 40 stuff. And music has become so exhausting to cover now. Sure. Because we have made it so accessible to everybody. And everybody is on the streaming sites. So what is popular in a month may not be as popular next month. And there's always new music coming in. And so it's actually quite exhausting to try and keep up. And it's really interesting because in clubs, not everything lands, like all these big popular songs. Like only certain songs rise to the top in Clubland, and uh, they have staying power. It's it's amazing when you DJ in a nightclub for a bunch of like young 20-somethings sure. how stuff actually timeless like pop hits are still getting the biggest reaction I that see. they got when I was a kid. Like what's a what's an example of something that gets a big hit that you wouldn't necessarily expect? Yeah, so one of the songs that you'd be surprised about would be the Eurythmics, Sweet Dreams. Okay. Every time I play that song, people scream and sing the lyrics back to me. Wow. And these are kids in their early 20s. Right. Uh, maybe it was on Glee. I don't know. Fair. I haven't watched every episode of Glee. Um, another one that gets a lot of traction is Journey Don't Stop Believing. Okay. That was definitely on Glee and that was definitely like one of the... I think that's why I came back okay. into the, the social consciousness of today's youth. Wow. Uh, but uh, I'm always surprised. Um, of course, old Britney Spears really makes people mm-hmm. scream. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, why wouldn't it? I don't know. But it works. Um, there's a bunch of others too. You said you need to read a crowd. What is it you're looking for? when you're reading a crowd or is it just something that you inherently have from being in clubs? Yeah. I mean, the music now is so, it lacks surprise in some ways when it comes to club music. Okay. Because you know what's going to happen. You know there's going to be like an intro, then you know that there's going to be a, like the beat comes in and then there's usually some kind of drop and then the drop, like there's some kind of breakdown into like a vocal breakdown and then there's a drop where the beat hits again. And then it's usually a repeat and the second time it's even a bigger breakdown. Um, Basically, I mean, when you're looking at a crowd, you kind of, certain crowds when I play um, are more underground focused and others are more secular, top 40, shameless focused. Right. So you kind of have to suss that out. And usually you get, to, when you're a resident at a specific club, you get to know those that crowd well. So you can start to almost predict what's going to make them go crazy. I see. So sometimes you can actually build a set to sort of build to a moment and do something. Like there's different things a DJ can do. Like you can... You can sometimes just play smash hit after hit and just see where it lands. Or you can actually introduce songs that are quite new that they might not know after a really well-known song. So people will have some interest because they've just come off a high from the song they really like. You can also kind of mess them up by the way you mix things. You can smash tracks together and then what you can do is you can sort of smash out of it and then surprise them with something. So there's all sorts of little things you can do. Um, the, the goal is to let to control them, not let them control you. Wow. But you have to be controlled by them at the beginning of the night to like ease into it. You can't give it all to them right away. They have to buy into what you're doing. Fascinating. So you have to you have to establish trust and that means you have to listen to them. You just go with the flow and see what works. Right. When you're building a set, 
Take me through that. Is that are you? How long is a set you're building? It depends on what kind of set I'm playing. So yeah. if I'm playing an early set at the club I play at right now, mm-hmm. it's 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 a pretty short set because not a lot of people are in the club early on. I see. And so only for the last hour and change, I'm really fo- building the night. And are you building it as you go, mm-hmm. or have you pre-built these sets? Um, I I've done both. So okay. what I do is I come with a roadmap, and then I come with a a plan to break the roadmap. So let me ask you this then. What appeals to you musically? So you're a DJ. Yeah. But what, what do you listen for? Sound, voices? What is it that when you listen to, you're like, oh, I want to... I love melody, obviously. Okay. I love melodic. Orchestral stuff is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, things with beautiful harmonies are always lovely. Um, I also don't mind really like dirty beats, things that sort of move you. Because obviously the beat is everything, right? The, right. the, the kick and the... And the bass and everything, that's really important. Um, I also like really groovy music. Okay. I tend to like more soul, R&B, funk, disco-based kind of stuff. So that's, I mean, really, it's if, if, you, don't have a good, if you don't have a good kick drum in the track, it's not going to work for okay. electronic music. But ultimately, I love great melodies and harmonies. So and, very little alpine yodeling in your set, I would uh, At times, <laughs> it's appropriate. Sure. During maybe like Oktoberfest. Okay. But... Not usually after that or before. Fair enough. Now, is there a track that you find you often put in your sets? Is there a track that you're like, this is my signature? Or do you have a signature Yeah, style? there's one set. Yeah. That, there's one track I play. I'm bootleg. I did a song called Titanium by David Guetta. Right. And Sia, Sia. Right. It's like it's sort of become this anthem uh, in the club I play at. Mm. So every time I play it, I know the kind of reaction it gets. And the reaction is always the same. And they never really realize it until the, the the instrumental part comes in, and then it drops, and then you just hear that guitar. That's yep. that that guitar intro of before she sings, and then people just scream. Oh wow! And then it pretty much, I just can turn it down at any point, and they're just screaming the lyrics oh, and singing wow. out loud. And that's happened probably so many times that I can't even count anymore. Oh, my goodness. And, I, and I've been playing there on and off for years, but I've been mm-hmm. a resident for four years. And I just discovered it by, like, by like just, I don't know. I just It's just a very well-known track, and mm-hmm. it's just, I guess, a lot of people still love it after, like, seven or eight years. Fascinating story behind that song. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. she had sent the demo to Rihanna, and, uh, and she said no. And then he lifted her. So that song has her demo. Oh, I thought it was Mary, sorry. It was Mary J. Blige. That's who had the original. Oh, demo. was it? Yeah, I I, she sent another one to Rihanna. I thought it. She sent one to Rihanna. Okay. Okay, I'm confused now. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it went like this, and I could. T- and I don't know why all of a sudden I'm the Sia authority. But, no, you might be. It's but um, <laughs> she had sent the song, a different song to Rihanna who had the song but didn't record it. They had it for a year and then when the year went up, she recorded I can't remember that song. I don't know the Mary J. Uh, Blige I've heard connection. the Mary J. Blige version. It's but, not as good. Oh, really? No, it's it's not because it's just because that voice, mm-hmm. the way she Sia sings it, it's just so suited to the way she sings mm-hmm. and Mary J. It doesn't have the same emotional impact for sure. some reason. It just doesn't hit kind of way Sia does it. And the actual track that Sia um, has on there is her demo track. It's mm. not like they re-recorded it. She wasn't expecting to have her voice on it. In right. fact, she didn't want it because she didn't want to be um, compartmentalized as a 
uh, as, singer. as a singer like that. And so she was really upset when she heard her vo- vocals on that, if I'm not mistaken. Little did I'm, she know. Little did she know that it would be one of the songs that you you get such a huge reaction because of her voice. I love, yeah, I love the sound it's, of her it's, voice. It's her voice, I mm-hmm. think, that really gives it the, the resonance. And also the message of the song is pretty... Uh, it's a pretty inspirational song sure. when you think about it, when you look at the lyrics. So. What would you, if, if a new DJ came to you and said, what's some advice you could give me as I embark on this journey as a DJ? What would that be? Uh, I would say understand the history of music as much as you can and learn how to read crowds. And it's not about educating the crowd. It's about learning how to interact with people don't don't think you have to teach people a lesson because you'll always fail if that's the case fair but also understand your history of music and especially if you're doing electronic music and especially house music understand the history of house music and where it came from and start to appreciate the funk and soul that it's a lot of it's based off of oh wow so that's what I would suggest. Who would have thought? Like, you know, people don't give that much thought to what goes on to become a great DJ. But, yeah, it would stand to reason that if you're going to move a crowd, you need to know the story or the history behind the music you're going to move yeah. the crowd with. Yeah, you're right. Um, they don't need to know any of that. They just need to have fun. Right. They don't care about all that stuff because it's not important to them. But it's important for the person that's doing the moving because... It gives you some context, and it, I think it just provides more depth to what you're doing. And ultimately, it's all about people having a good time. That's really the bottom line. So, Jeff, what moves you? <laughs> um, it, it varies. I mean, like as in like music or just Like if general? you go see a DJ, like what are you looking for in that experience? Well, I'll tell you what I like the most sure. is when I go to like an after hours. It's like a true after hours, mm-hmm. like something like Stereo in Montreal. And I go with a DJ who's really rooted in the, the in house music and mm-hmm. plays can play a wide variety of types of house music through an, an, a, a long evening. Um, to me, that can be the most, some of the most... Uh, it's almost spiritual in a way, I think, when, when you're in a nightclub and they're playing really good, deep, classic house mixed in with current, and they kind of meld everything together. And they take you kind of on this journey based on the types of music they're playing. What defines house? Um, usually it's anything with a 4-4 beat. Okay. Uh, but it doesn't have to be, but mostly that's what it came out of. I think it's, it's basically uh, just a constant rhythm. And it's like a heartbeat. Oh. And so heartbeats are about 120 BPM. And house music right now, just because of the culture we're in, it sits anywhere between 120 to 128 oh, wow. BPMs. So it's, it's synonymous with the heart beating. And I think if you want to say what constitutes house, it's your heart. Oh, wow. How profound is that? <laughs> You'd think they'd call it heart music. Hmm. That's not a bad. Uh, that's not. A, that's not a bad. Um, I, I, I'd say it's not a bad uh, uh, description of it. Equivalent. Yeah. Tell me about some of your favorite concerts because I'd like. Cause, I really because, die with concerts. Oh really? Yeah, I don't see a lot of them to be. But honest even in your past, I prefer, was, like, has, has there ever been a concert that you've gone to that has really sort of stuck with you? Ugh, not for the right reasons. Okay, fair enough. But uh, I've never been a big concert goer. Okay, I go more to like theater plays, musicals. I like musical Okay, theater. so what has been a 
musical experience, whether it be theater or musicals, mm-hmm. that has impacted you or that stays with you? Um, well, I, the first thing that came to my mind, uh, there's been a couple, but seeing Patty Lapone and Gypsy on okay. Broadway. Wow. It, it was well, that probably was about, recent, it was recent, 12 years ago, oh, I think. That, okay. Like she was on Broadway. About it feels 20. like it was yesterday. I remember her. It was my first show on Broadway that okay. I saw. Wow. Like I had only been to New York 12 years ago and she was in the revival of Gypsy and I was sitting at the very back of the theater and I was, I mean, when she did the, I don't know, are you familiar with the musical? Somewhat, yeah. So there's a big 11 o'clock number at the very end mm-hmm. where she basically has a mental breakdown, the lead character, Mama Rose. Yes. And that's when she just lets it all out and she, you wa- the audience watches her have a complete mental breakdown on stage and... When Patti Lapone sang that number, um, it's a big number. It's a that's Ethel Merman originated right. the role, right? So it's, it requires some rutzpah. But uh, she sang it, and she sang the final note, the final like the final s- section of it, and it was like a lightning bolt came out of her and shot right through me. And I wow. was sitting at the back of the theater, like it was amazing wow the other theater experience i had and it's a musical as well that was amazing just because of the way the audience was reacting Mm. it was i went to go see the book of mormon when it was in previews at the o'neill theater in new york before it became this phenomenon wow and i just heard about it i happened to be in new york at the time it was previewing Mm -hmm. and i kept hearing how amazing it was and there was this and just having like an experience with all these people laughing like crazy I had never laughed so hard in a musical. I think if I had gone to see it now, it probably wouldn't have the same resonance. It probably seem a bit dated or tired, considering what's going on in the country these right. days politically sure. down south. But, um, but that was an experience wow. for sure. Yeah, incredible. Mm. What was the first record you remember purchasing or owning? Thriller, Michael Jackson. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. And then like a Virgin, Madonna. And then I did purchase Eurythmics. Uh, no, I purchased a lot of little singles, 45s, but Thriller was my first big one. Do you remember the extended 12-inch records that would come out? Yes, I used to buy those all the time when I was a kid. I have a bunch of them, Yeah, and I don't know what to do with them because I don't have a record. What kind of songs are they? I might like every one of them. Oh, I've got a ton. I think I have some Madonna ones, too. Oh, I um, love them. I used to have a ton of them. Like the... um, um, I can only picture the the covers. In, what's kind it of. called? You can. She made this long play album that mm-hmm. had like three huge. Re, they had like six remixes, and they were all like tw- ten minutes long. And it was called "You Can Dance," and it was like I think "Into the Groove" was one remix, and there was a couple of well, not well known songs. I and, think I have that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, yeah. I used to be a real fiend when it came to purchasing twelve inch singles, and I didn't like know what to do with them because sure. I wasn't a DJ back then. I had no idea, no concept of it. I have so. no idea why I would purchase 12-inch singles, but I, I remember... I, I was obsessed I, with it, too. I, I think I had a friend who was really into it, and I remember when they would do the launch. Like It was like, this album's coming. You know, Sting's new album is coming. We would, we would go to the record store mm-hmm. on that day, and I feel like it was on a Thursday, Yeah, and be the first to buy the, the vinyl and take it home and just listen I to it. I did a lot of just... I would hang out in record stores and in cassette tape stores and HMV. Like, when I go to, like... We used to go to Glasgow a lot when I was a kid because my mom's from there. Okay. So I spent every summer there and I would obsess going to Virgin Records and just obsess over, like, looking at, like, CD singles and I would, like, just look at them all. Like, I would just search for hours. 
I don't know. I was obsessed with finding music. So wow. it's sort of interesting that I've developed this sort of side mm-hmm. hobby as a DJ. Uh, yeah, and I'm kind of still doing the same thing. What? What? I'll I'll end with this last question. What are the best clubs you've ever been to? Because I remember there's some clubs I've been to that no longer exist. When I, yeah. when, I when I would go to New York, we'd go to the Limelight. Oh, the Limelight. Uh, yeah, Webster's Hall, I think, is still it's there. It's still there, yeah. And then there was another one. The Limelight was in the old church, right? Was in that church? Was that? And then we went to another one. I can't yeah, remember. I've been there. Now it's a big gentrified, like, like there's all these eatery places. Yeah. It's like so, it's been completely mm-hmm. gutted and it's all very fancy and shishi. It's in Chelsea, right? I can't remember. Yeah, I think it's in Chelsea. So I'd say. I like clubs not I don't like the flashiness of clubs. Oh, okay. I like I like the energy of a club based on sort of what the vibe it's giving and Stereo Nightclub in Montreal is probably one of the places I've had my top experiences. And it's very basic, but it's a world renowned club that DJs love to play at because of the sound system. It's so amazing. Oh, I see. I remember one time I was in Barcelona uh, on a just a little like weekend vacation because I was going to be in I was visiting family in England and Scotland and I went to a club called Souvenir that was amazing and it was basically at on the outskirts of the city and I was at a club the night before and once that club was done at 5 or 6 in the morning they had a, like a, a tour bus that took you for like a couple of euros to the, the outskirts of Barcelona into the industrial park oh, wow. and in the middle of nowhere there's this like amazing like after hours club that probably filled like 1200 people at least sure. and it was amazing there was like a downstairs room with a lounge and then there was an upstairs and it was this big nightclub. And that was an amazing experience. I haven't been to Ibiza or anything like that. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, it's a pretty... I think those days are behind me. Okay, fair enough. I remember going to the Viper Room in L.A. Right. And Johnny Depp was there. Right. That's where his band used to play, right? I guess. Um, and I thought it was the worst. I'm like, this is... We went it's there grungy. and we're like, yeah, it was just like, it wasn't even grungy. It wasn't even like, like it just seemed lame. I remember going there and, you know, big line to get in and whatnot. And somehow, I don't know how I did I got on the guest list. Because right. I called them up and I'm like, is like I was just asking questions and, and I guess I was being really, because I remember calling them like, uh, we're not going to get in. But I was, I was just being, you know, not a nice person. And they're like, all right, we'll put your name on the list. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, all right. We showed up and they're like, we passed this huge line and my friends are looking at me like how do we get on this list I'm like I don't know and then we got in there and we were in there for a while and I'm like this place isn't so great let's let's leave and Johnny Depp was there That's oh is that why yeah. people were getting it where I guess yeah it was I've never really gone clubbing too much in LA so I don't really know the culture that look well. at me I'm dropping I'm dropping this like I'm some yeah I'm like oh it was just <laughs> a weird, weird experience all of a sudden it makes it sound like I'm some clever well listen Jeff thank you so much for um agreeing to be on the Insomnia Project and enlightening me on the art of DJing. Oh, anytime. Did you, do you want to mention the where you have your residency, where people can yeah, see Yeah, it's at a club called Fly 2.0. Fantastic. So if you're in Toronto, in Toronto, head on over to Fly 2.0. That's it. Thank you. As always, the Insomnia Project is produced by Drumcast Productions, and this episode was recorded in Toronto, Canada.